All right. So the first question is from Krishna Kanaya. She says, can we jump directly from tamas to sudasattva, or do we have to move gradually through the other gunas? Well, first of all, no one is entirely in either of the gunas, so the gunas have a threefold influence on us. They're sattvic to our constitution, tamas and rajas. Um, <clears throat> one may have a greater um, influence than another. And um, according to the Bhagavatam, Tadara Rastamobhava Kamalo Badayas Chaye Cheta Etaranabhidham Sitam Satve Prasidati. The um, progression is that the influence of the lower modes of nature will subside in the context of practicing bhakti. And um, and and the verse says, and one will attain suddhasattva. It doesn't say that um, the lower modes of nature's influence will subside. One will attain sattva guna, then gradually one will attain suddhasattva. But um, um, And I suppose I should say that the verse could be translated like that, um, but typically it's been translated to indicate um, movement from lower modes into Sattva. But you're going to pass through Sattva Guna. Uh, that said, um, um, the question makes me think that the questioner is asking, do I have to become free from the total influence of the lower modes of nature than become perfectly situated in Sattva? And then from there, I'm in a position to attain transcendence. Um, and I'd say no, that, that's a um, kind of an emphasis you'll find in the Rita Vedanta where the original idea there is that one would have to be, be born as a Brahmin, which would mean primarily influenced by Satvaguna. And in that life takes sannyas, and then one can attain, you know, transcendence. Um, there's a strong emphasis in bhakti that um, in the bhakti traditions that such a progression is not necessary. And there are examples of animals, for example, um, moving from their position into transcendence directly. So um, it's not a, it's not necessarily the case that one has to excuse me overcome the lower modes of nature, become situated in goodness. And then from there, um, and do so in order to from there attain Sattva. So one, by the grace of Bhagwan, which is uh, considerable, one can go from a, a uh, let's say, for let's look at the classic uh, Varnashram situation. Sudra is primarily thought to be influenced by Tamaguna, but a Sudra can attain transcendence. Um, uh, it's possible. Uh, directly um so I, I wouldn't look at it quite like that at the same time as i say the first verse i cited from the bhagavatam the only verse but the verse in this connection speaks about the fact that in the context of sadhana bhakti the lower influences of nature 
gradually become removed. So um, verses identified kama and loba, lust and greed with the lower modes of nature. These influences will gradually be removed and and one will attain transcendence. Um, so a little bit of both is is, is there is, is the way I'm, I guess I'm answering it. I hope that helps. Marta, I had a follow-up. Isn't it that the three Vaishnavs also have this uh, idea that you have to gradually go through karma, yoga, gyan to bhakti or something like that? And well, according how is to, yeah, I'm not an expert in Sri Vaishnavism, but um, I know that they their perspective is more that bhakti is a post-liberated state, which we agree with. And so it's high, very exalted. Now we add to that that uh, she's also extremely generous. So despite the fact that she extends in, 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 beyond liberation, so to speak, the highest realm of liberated life, she also extends herself to the downtrodden and, um, excuse me, in this sense, is generous. Now, in Sri Vaishnavism, that generosity of, of, of bhakti, as we think of it, doesn't seem to be have the same emphasis in one sense, in that typically one engages in the, um, let's say, karma, nishkam karma, mm-hmm. the varnashram duties, and, and then those duties without attachment to the result. Mm-hmm. One comes to jnana, mm-hmm. becomes a contemplative, and then one can become fixed in meditation on Bhagavan, which is bhakti. Mm-hmm. And now to make up for this the problem this creates for most people and to differentiate that idea, which sounds similar to the Advaitin idea that I mentioned earlier, similar but different, but similar, um, to make up for that, they have um, the idea of Sharanagati and the power of Sharanagati. Sharanagati means to just give up oneself to Krishna from whatever one's position is. One may be an outcast, uh, according to the Varnashram, or in, from the lower sector of society, and um, become a Sharanagata. And then without qu- gradually being qualified for different types of religious activities, let's say brahminical activities or contemplative life and so on and so forth, the Sharanagata can go to uh, directly to Vaikuntha. So in a way, they do emphasize the generosity of bhakti, but in, in a differently than, than we do. So uh, and there are a number of examples. And one of the famous examples is there was one fellow who was not allowed in the temple um, and uh, and even today you can find that in some of the Ramanuja temples. I know that even the temple in Vrindavan, there's a Sri Vaishnava temple in Vrindavan, a kind of a microscopic uh, or satellite uh, representation of the you know, Sri Rangam, 
the capital, you know, in South India. In Vrindavan, if you're not in, from a Brahmin family, you can't enter the temple. You can go in the Goshala. I've been in there and with the cows, but you can't go into the temple. Um, so anyway, there's a famous temple in the south, and this fellow couldn't go in. So he sat behind the temple, um, facing the stone wall, which would be the back, where the deity's back faced. He sat there and he chanted or, or whatever and just... Um, you know, he was always there. And then one day they came into the temple and the deity was turned around. Hmm? The deity had turned. And so, so then they carved a hole in the back of the temple <laughs> for that, uh, Sharanagata devotee. You can have Darshan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's my answer to your, your follow up comment. Does that help? Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see. What's next is Shraddha Devi says in the Chaitanya Charitamrita Madhya Lila 7.69 in the purport, it says that Bhaktivino Thakur state, states, Yedina Grihe Bhajan Deki Grihe Tegolo Kabhaya. It's from Sharanagati 31.6. Whenever a householder glorifies the Supreme Lord in his home, his activities are immediately transformed into the activities of Golok Vrindavan, spiritual activities taking place in the Golok Vrindavan planet of Krishna. Does this mean that the activities are carrying carrying on in parallel in Golok Raj as well as being transformed? This may have been touched on recently on your talks in Poland, but we would like to clarify this. Thank you. Dandavat Pranam, Guru Maharaj. Well, I, um, the question is a little bit confusing, but I think that um, the, the explanation of what uh, is being said in Bhaktivinoda's poem is that one's house turns into Goloka Vrindavan. I'll, I'll speak about another example. The first time I came to India, I've mentioned this before, but uh, we, uh, I came from Australia uh, to uh, Madras, South India. And we were hosted there, spent the night at a Brahmin's uh, Vaishnav family who were uh, from I don't know, maybe it was the Madhva Sampradaya. I can't recall. Madhva Sampradaya or Shri Sampradaya. And so we were in the house in the morning and we, the, the, the guests, the hosts were serving us. And then one of the devotees next to me said, has this been offered? Hmm? <laughs> and then that, that host smiled and said, Prabhuji, the whole house is offered. Hmm? And so it was very charming. So... um as much as one turns one's house, so to speak, into a temple, and it's centered around the deity. Typically, the householders have deities in their homes, which are often thought of as satellites to a main temple that their life is also uh, centered around. In uh, in uh, Sri Venkateshwar's, uh, is it Venkateshwar? I think so. Um, at Tirupati, uh, there are is the main temple up on the hill, and then the communities down below, and they all have their own little satellite of of Venkateshwar, and um, often food that's offered to him is taken by 
them and then offered to their deities and then honored by themselves. Um, so at any rate, as much as one makes one's house into a temple by making it centered on pleasing the senses of Krishna rather than one's own senses, as much as it's transformed, so to speak, from material to spiritual, and as much as it is transformed to the spiritual, is as much as it has become um, the spiritual world and an extension, if you will, or a satellite of Vaikuntha or of Goloka. Um, so Bhakti says, I saw my house turn into, you know, Goloka Vrindavan. You hate to go local by. Um, that's um, really what he means. I want to say all that he means. It's, it's a lot. Um, um, the question is, you know, Goloka is going on over here, and now this is going on somewhere else. Goloka is going on down here as well. Uh, how does that work? I guess that seems to be be the question. Um, but I don't think we should look at Goloka, you know, kind of geographically or with certain constraints. Um, it can express itself anywhere. It has different prakashas, as I've often mentioned, different sections, different windows where different leelas are going on. And one can be in one window and not be aware of other leelas. One can be in the Kishore leela and not know that the Pogunda leela or the, the uh, Umar leela are going on at the same time. Um, there is a, a dynamic and very peculiar but interesting um, nature of eternity within the Gaudiya Vaishnava conception because it's a dynamic kind of, of eternity where new leelas can manifest, right? New people can enter, newcomers and so forth. Um, where, where, where Radha's praying or anyone's praying is full, yet ever expanding at the same time. Um, so think of that a bit in comparison to a more static idea of eternity. It's, it's already existing. It always will. Nothing new can happen there. Um, it's a very dynamic idea of eternity that, you know, doesn't entirely fit between the ears, but such is its nature. So that a new Prakash can manifest in your own home. Uh, satellite or another section of Goloka, uh, and there, there is your Radha Govinda, you know, your deity, or your Radha Raman, your Radha Gopinath in your temple, your Krishna Balaram in your temple. Is that deity different from the Krishna in Goloka? Well, he's different in the sense that he's a ritualistic representation, symbolic representation was worshipped symbolically, so to speak, with Om Idam Naivedyam Klim Krishnaya Namaha, Idam Asanam Klim Goraya Namaha, and so forth, with the kind of ritualistic language and procedures that you don't find going on in Goloka. Or hmm? Mother, you sort of says, sit down, eat, eat more, you know. She's not saying Idam Naivedyam, you know, uh, and so forth. So it's symbolic in that way. But as you enter into that, realm. I call it a kind of a transitional realm or ritualistic uh, um, realm, the realm of ritual. Uh, as you enter into it through the medium of the ritual, then it, it, and the non-difference 
in all respects between the deity and, and the Krishna and Goloka becomes apparent. The deity will speak with us. The deity will tell us to do this, to do that. And we find devotees worshiping the deity in ways that seem to, seem to, 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 uh, to um, digress from the norms of ritual worship, arguing with the deity, sleeping with the deity, uh, so on and so forth, which is uh, obviously more akin to how we relate with Krishna and Goloka Vrindavan. So um, that the deity, if, as you pass through the realm of ritual, through the medium of, of, of ritual, uh, the symbolism of it all, to actually experience that the Krishna on your altar is, is, is non-different. That's a theory. That's a theological, you know, concept. But you experience it from Krishna and Goloka. Well, then where are you? You're in Goloka. That's what Krishna never leaves Goloka. Right? Krishna never leaves Vrindavan. Hmm? So as much as through your worship in your house, you enter into the Vrindavan consciousness. Where are you? You're in Goloka Vrindavan. So Bhakti knows this. I saw my house turn into Goloka. Um, I hope that helps. Thank you. Uh, the next question is from Brajahari. Thank you. Thank you. Looks like somebody unmuted. I want to, Shardha wanted to say something. Shardha, are you there? Just, yes, thank you. That helped a lot. Realm of ritual does help, actually. Thank you. Okay, so, Brad, oh, actually, Sadhvi, are you there? Were you able to get to your home? Yes, I'm here. I can okay. ask. Dandavas Guru Maharaj. Um, my question is um, about if if uh, one gets this experience of some shadow of Bhava, some semblance by mercy of a sadhu, and after that goes back to his real like position or situation, still one has like uh, from that moment has have memories of uh, how it was and. Uh, some realizations like of um, um, not having this vision and is it uh, also counting is it actually um, valuable to have this realization even if you don't have this uh, it's at the moment but you still have some kind of a memory of that experience is it like a real knowledge real realization or is it somehow like covered or yeah i understand your question yeah so so i'll be speaking about uh, like baba boss semblance or shadow of baba where a devotee in the context of practice or in the context of a festival maybe where there's everything's there's the kirtan and next there's prashadam and there's class and there's more kirtan and one be actually becomes Absorbed, or one can do it in one's own practice, um, you know, alone. But at, at any rate, um, one one's mind stops, and so to speak, and one experiences um, bhava. But it's a shadow of bhava. It's a shadow. It's a semblance of bhava, and it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it doesn't endure. It might last for. A day or a few hours it might last for a week, it might last for a month, hmm. um, and then it fades. And then, as Sadhvi Singh comes back to where you, you come back to where you really are, so to speak, on the path. 
but still it's a very powerful uh, experience right and um it you're a marked person you've had that experience now it's very difficult it's so confirming the experience that it would be difficult to leave the path because you're kind of like part of your subtle body has been 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 burned so to speak like by this experience and it's part now it's part of your antakarna i'll give you a crude example that if you take psychedelics a lot then you can have a flashback even after you stop taking them so they alter your brain in some way right so you get certain experience then you can, you can stop taking them and years later you can have a flashback you could see something you could go to a place where you were on a trip previously and then a semblance of the trip might might come again something like that so it's something like that again it's a very crude example but your the subtle body is affected by this and that effect although you don't experience the full effect that you did at the time, it still has an imprint. So the whole idea here in bhakti is that this subtle body will be gradually, gradually transformed and overridden, so to speak, like the program, if you want to call the your, your subtle body, you know, the, the program uh, of your, you know, computer body, to use an example, the physical body, the hardware. The program is going to be rewritten with bhakti. Bhakti is going to override your your subtle body. So this is a process. So this Baba Boss, this is a very powerful influence that that cancels out some brain cells or something or transforms the, you know, I just use that example again. Trans start is 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 a is a tangible um instance of the transformation of the subtle body that we're involved in 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 bringing about through all of our practices and so forth. So, um, yes, so it will be a kind of indelible and create a memory and even a semblance of the semblance, right? A shadow of, the, of that shadow will recall on, lean on, it, will, it, it helps us and so forth. So, so yes, I guess is the answer in short to, you, to your question. Thank you. Thank you. Very cool. Right. The next question is from Brajahari. He says about Madhvacharya. Gauraganadesh Dipika 22 says that he took initiation in the Krishna mantra from Vyas, while other sources mention him as an initiated disciple of Achyuta Prekshacharya and clarify that in the disciplic succession, Gaudiya Vaishnav Oh, in the Gaudiya Vaishnava Disciplic Succession, the name of Vyas is placed immediately before the name of Madhva, considering the importance of the acquired shiksha from the transcendental perspective. The latter is often used to support the shiksha guru parampara. Could you please share some insights about Madhva's relationship with Srila Vyasadev? Thank you. Yes, uh, Madhva was initiated by Chuta Prekha, who was an Andwaitan. Um, but the Advaitin doctrine, as he became acquainted with him, with it, did not settle well with him. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, wrote his own, uh, commentaries. Mm-hmm. 
and these uh, commentaries were con- were directly in conflict with the Advaitin. He had a Dvaita perspective, which is the opposite of Advaita. Advaita means non-dual. Dvaita means dual. So it's like very like uh, like black and white difference. So this was not much appreciated by Chitta Preksha, and um, but. Um, um, you know, given whatever, and there are different opinions, uh, his, was his past. Some say he's an incarnation of the god of Ayu, some Bhima, um, and so forth. Um, this all came to bear in his role, if you will, in the history of Vedanta, uh, came to bear and with his commentaries. And then, the story goes that he went then into the Himalayas and he met Vyas and and Vyas um, confirmed that his commentaries were you know accurate representation of the uh, of the scripture now this is uh, what we would call an article of faith within the Madhva tradition and it carries over to the Gaudiya tradition as well we can't verify that he went, he talked to Vyas. Where was it? You know, it said that Vyas is still living in the Himalayas, but you can't go there because China owns that part. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, something like that. But there are other reasons as well, you know. Um, but of course, it was thought that Madhva had the spirituality that he could experience Vyas, um, and, 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 and speak with him. So this is, um, again, an article of faith in the Madhva tradition. But the logic of Madhva is very, very powerful, and his scriptural um, argument is very, 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 very strong and compelling. We very much appreciate it because it's so contra Advaitin. It so much aggressively pushes back on Advaita, um, and um, and uh, you know, and, and and we agree with that pushback. Um, and there's also a very strong emphasis on worship of the deity. In Madhva Sampradaya, and, and we also um, much appreciate that the eternality of the form of Bhagavan and so on. So, you know, what, what can be said in your questions about what was the conversation between Vyas and, and Madhva? You know, no one can say, only Vyas, Vyas whatever Madhva says, we either believe it or we don't. Um, but we can't not believe in the spiritual veracity of Madhva's teaching that he embodied. And, um, and, you know, demonstrated before the eyes of, of so many, right? In, in, uh, the famous, you know, there are many miracles. One of, one of, one of the famous ones is that, uh, there was a boat that was, um, uh, in some difficulty in the ocean trying to come to the port and he on the shore, Somehow was determined that his influence brought the boat in, you know, again, identifying him with Vayu, the god, wind god. And then the, anyway, somehow the boat captain felt that mother was responsible for their safe harbor. And, um, they gave him a big piece of tea lock, a big one. And inside the tea lock it opened up, broke open, and there was a deity who was now called Udupi Krishna. Was thought to have been Rukmini's deity in in the Dwarakalila, and this is this Udupi Krishna is the very center of the whole Madhva uh, Sampradaya. 
the worship of Rupi Krishna. So, uh, you know, and besides any miracles, so forth, just his character and person, you know, you, you just can't, um, if the character and the person is so overtly spiritual, as what's his, as what's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's and so forth, you have to find, you have to do, a, you know, an academic exercise of finding support for it in the scripture where it didn't seem to be there otherwise by interpreting texts in ways grammatically that give support to it um, and so forth. You can't say, well, he, it doesn't say that, you know, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is Krishna and, you know, in black and white here on this page in this verse, therefore he can't be, or, the, you know, um, well, the, the experience in the practical realms is, 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 um, it's contrary to that. So, we find ways to, the Goswami's found ways to give support that wasn't seen otherwise. So with, with Madhva, overtly spiritual person like this. So, um, and, and, you know, and not only overtly spiritual in his character, but, but, but in his ability to articulate a metaphysic with scriptural support, with such erudition, scholarship, so that his spirituality was, was obviously not in opposition to scripture, hmm? maybe you couldn't find him in the scripture, and you could, but 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 you, you, you but his own spiritual position was articulated hmm, with with support from scripture. That's that's you know um, um, uh, viable. You may have a different interpretation, but his is 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 a, is a viable one. So one of the great schools of Vedanta. Hmm? Madhva's Dvetavad. But again, what did Vyas say to him? Um, what we will, will assume is that, um, not only did Vyas, um, accept the Siksha from, excuse me, Madhva accept the Siksha from Vyas, but perhaps also the, the, the principal mantra of their sampradaya, which is the principal mantra of our sampradaya, the Gopal mantra. So Gopal mantra is, 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 is central to their um, their lineage. He wouldn't have got it from Akshuta Preksha. Of course, he could have taken it from the scriptures himself, um, or extraordinary people can do extraordinary things. In Bhakti Sindharva, it's mentioned that the Krishna mantras hmm, um, don't need to be empowered like other mantras there, because Krishna's name is there, they are automatically empowered. Um, but most people need to receive them from a guru who guides them and so forth. But extraordinary people don't necessarily have to do so. So whether he just took it from the Upanishad, go pulled up, he heard it from Vyas, uh, you know, that, um, I don't think his, his conversation with Vyas is, is written down anywhere. Um, so this is what I know about about um, the, the connection between Vyas and, and Madhva. And I hope that's helpful. If there's a follow-up to that uh, question, further comment, I'm open to, to hearing it. I see something about this sobre Madhva charge. Oh, that's the same question in Spanish, right? Gorgonadesh Deepika, um, it says that... Um, that I guess this is Inasiasion in 
he Krishna Mantra Devyas. So apparently, I wasn't aware, I don't remember this, but apparently, according to Gaura Ganadesh Deepika, a famous Gaudiya book by Kavikarnapur, Madhva is said to have received the Diksha Mantra, Krishna Mantra, that would be Gopal Mantra, Krishna Mantra, from Vyas. So there you have it. Thank you very much. The next question is from Gunjan Sharma. She says, Hare Krishna Maharaj, Dandavat Pranam. Kindly accept my heartfelt thanks and regards for your beautiful and inspiring lectures. I wanted to ask about the autobiography of Bhaktivinoda Thakurji. Which books are helpful in understanding the life of Bhaktivinoda Thakur closely? Thank you. There really is not an autobiography of Bhaktivinoda Thakur per se. But Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote a letter late in his life to Elite Prashad, one of his sons, a younger son from his elder and prominent son, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And in the letter, he talks about his life. And um, so some have, you know, described it as a um, autobiography. Uh, but I don't think he wrote it like I'm going to write an autobiography. He wrote a letter to his son. And uh, and because he was a younger son, I think he explained things about it earlier in his life, his progression and so forth. Now, if you read the letter, he seems uh, to have go through a, a progression to attain um, the exalted status that we know he um, he uh, holds. But um, <laughs> the way in which he passed through different stages is so extraordinary, like overnight, so to speak, that um, it it speaks to um, the notion of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, that he himself, Bhakti Vinod, was um, not a sadhana siddha, but a nitya siddha, descending in the world for the purpose of disseminating um, Krishna consciousness. Uh, one could go either way on that, but um, but as far as your question goes, I, I think that... Um, how to become acquainted with the person of Bhakti Vinodas is most likely through the work of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and his followers who, who focused their attention on publishing the works of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, the poems of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, um, the, um, the books of Bhakti Vinod Thakur that he wrote. I think we can get closer to him there than we can from a biographical, uh, you know, letter. I did this. I went here. I met that person. Uh, uh, I passed through this. I went through that. I, and so forth. Um, it's 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 interesting, but um, much more to be learned. Uh, just like you know, you started your question by thanking me for my lectures. So, you know, how will you know about me? Well, if you listen to my lectures, you, I'm expressing myself there, right? Hmm? how I feel about things, how I think about things, and so forth. So you, you get to know me on a, in a, on a certain level, on a substantial level. So through his siksha, um, um, through, you know, Navadvip Baba Taranga would be a good book to read. the waves of Baba, of, 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 of Navadvip. It's not a long book. Navadvip, where he goes through uh, expressing is Baba in different islands, different islands that constitute the nine islands of Navadweep. Um, 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 you know, and 
of course, the most probably substantial book is Jaiva Dharma, where he tries to cut, to condense the, all the teachings of the Goswamis into one volume in the, in the um, in shape of a of a novel, um, so to speak. Uh, so anyway, he, so many texts, so many books are there, so many songs and so forth. And to acquaint oneself with them is to acquaint oneself with, with what made Bhaktivinoda tick. That said, now, um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur is um, such an extraordinary figure that there have been a number of academic works centered on Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Hmm. Uh, the seminal work in that regard was done by a godbrother of mine, and it was his PhD uh, thesis. It's called Hinduism and Modernity, I think. Hindu Encounters with Modernity. Encounters with... That's the name, Encounters with Modernity? It's Hindu Encounters with Modernity, right? So Hindu Encounters with Modernity. And um, it's a very good book, except for the last chapter. The last chapter, he, he, the author uh, displays a misunderstanding of of, of uh, Raghunuga Bhakti and the way in which it was taught and practiced by Bhakti Siddhanta. But otherwise, it's quite a good book. And a number, maybe three or four, maybe more, maybe half a dozen, uh, books have been written about Bhakti Vinod, about his influence and so forth. Um, now, I don't have the, the names of those on the tip of my tongue, um, unfortunately for you, but um, you might find some, you know, by a search on the internet. Um, um, and they're written by devotees who are academics. I'm thinking of the name of one of them, there's a, there's a one named Jason Fuller who's not a devotee, but it wrote a a um, dissertation. Uh, I think it was a dissertation, or anyway, an academic book on Bhakti Vinod and perennialism. I think his name is Jason Fuller. And there's another one, Bengali um, grand disciple of Prabhupada. What is his name? Um, um, I can't recall. Who did his thesis on Bhakti Thakur. And um, there are some other books also that aren't centered on Bhakti Thakur, but to speak about the, uh, like, what is that book? Uh, Brigo says Abhishek Ghosh. Abhishek Ghosh. Abhishek Ghosh. Right. There's also a book called Unforgetting Chaitanya, which isn't about Bhakti Thakur. It's an academic book, but it's about Bengal at the time of the Bhakti Vinod Thakur's revival and his influence there is is mentioned considerably. You learn some personal anecdotes about him and his interactions and so forth. But, so, so there's the wealth of, of literature about him that's worth acquainting oneself with that, that will give you um, an appreciation of him and understanding of him and to him probably more than that short, uh, relatively speaking, letter to, um, it's a long letter, but it's quite short compared to the texts I'm mentioning, letter to uh, Lalit Prashad. So I hope that's helpful. All right, the next question is from Mohini. Pranam Guru Maharaj, can you hear me okay? 
Yes, I can. Great. Um, so my question is about um, recently I've, I've started reading Sri Brihad Bhagavatamrita, and it's from some verses that I read from the sort of the end of the second chapter and beginning of the third chapter in the first part about Lord Shiva. Um, and it's my my question is kind of about how we should see Lord Shiva. So the verses that I read were about him being um, uh, non-different from Sankarshan and that, you know, that he's more, although like Brahma is also considered the Lord, that Lord Shiva is more literally the Lord than Brahma and that it was explaining in, I think, one of the commentaries that um, he's both Sankarshan but also his own devotee. So when I when I think of Sankarshan, I think of Balaram and I was thinking whether do should we see lord shiva as like as as like lord balaram um in that sort of a way i don't know if that's a strange question but that's that's my question yes well we don't identify shiva entirely with 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 balaram um i think that um typically the idea that shiva in his Shiva Loka, as depicted in Red Bhagavatamrita, is worshipping Shankarshan, refers to the idea that he's meditating on Mahasankarshan, who would be the one of the members of the Chaturvyuha in Vaikuntha, who all, all three of which are expansions of Balaram, Sankarshan, Pradyumna, Aniruddha. Vasudev, of course, is the expansion of Krishna. Krishna and Balaram expand into Mathura and Dwarka as Vasudev and Mool, Mool means root, Mool Sankarshan. And then they expand into the Chaturvyuha for Vaikuntha. Hmm? Uh, three expansions, as I said, Aniruddha, Sankarshan, and Pradyumna, thought to be expansions of, Bala, of, of, of Mool Sankarshan. And there the Sankarshan is called Maha Sankarshan and Narayan, the expansion of Vasudev. So, and then, of course, the three, Maha Sankarshan, Pradyumna and Ruta manifest as the three Vishnus, Garbhadakshai, Vishnu, Mahavishnu, Garbhadakshai, Vishnu, Shivadakshai, Vishnu. So, um, um, so anyway, I think that the, the idea there is it's that Shiva is meditating on Mahasankarshan, and in some respects, he's identified with Mahasankarshan, and I, I, I think that you're, you're, you've mentioned that in your in your in your question. Um, so is he Balaram? Mm. The question. Mm. Uh, we don't quite uh, think of it like that um, because, um, um, but and he's a he's a thought to be kind of Vishnu and not Vishnu, like yogurt is milk and not milk. What is yogurt but milk that's set out for a while? If it's raw milk, it can sit out for a while and it turn into yogurt. Even if you don't personally add anything to it. Uh, so milk is yogurt, but milk, but the two are different at the same time. They have a different function. So it has a different function. Um, um, That said, to complicate things uh, further, Advaita Acharya, 
is often identified with Mahasankarsha. And he is thought to be also the Shiva of Mahaprabhu's associates. In the Bhagavatam, in the 11th canto, it's mentioned, Shiva Vrnichnutam Sharanyam, Pratyartiham Pranatapala Plabhadipotam, Vande Mahapurushati Charanarupindam. That he just, it's, it's a verse from the Bodhi perspective, and it's uh, a good argument, that um, speaks about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. After Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was described as sending with his associates, Krishna Varnam Tisakushnu Sangopangastraparshanam Yognai Sankirtana Prayer Vijantihi Sumeda Saha. And there's two verses that follow that, each of which conclude with Bande Mahapurushate Charanaranindam. Uh, from my respect to the Mahapurusha and so forth. And uh, they further describe the Chaitanya avatar. Mm-hmm. So, in one of them, you have this line, Shiva Marinchi Nutam Sharanyam. Now, it means that Shiva, Marinchi here means Brahma. So, he descends with Brahma and Shiva. Mm-hmm. So, who's the Brahma and Shiva? Well, Vishwanachakuritaku comes the Brahma is Haridas, Brahma Haridas. The Shiva is the Dvaita, Mahaprasham. Mm-hmm. Now, I say this in relation to your question because in Gorgesh Ganadesh Deepika, Advaita is identified with Mahasankarshan and also with Sakirasa. Mm-hmm. And an example that I think is given by Kavikarnapur, if I recall correctly, from some other uh, Purana where Shiva desires to become to experience sakirasa and and taste it and so forth. Um, now, of course, we have another idea of Shiva also, where Shiva wants to wants to taste Madhurya rasa. So, uh, he, he has the capacity to have such desires and have them fulfilled. So there he is, situated in Gopi in Gopi form, at the uh, gate of the Rasalila, Gopishwar. Mahadev. There's a famous Shiva Lingam in Braj, where he's worshipped in that way. They dress the Lingam like a Gopi and, and so forth. I don't know why um, that was not emphasized by Kavikarnapur. seems to be maybe a later theological uh, development in the Sampradaya, but, but um, he went where he did with it, and it, and it, and it ties Shiva also, Mahasankarshan and Advaita to Sakyarasa. Later authors, especially in Advaita Parva, try to tie Advaita to, to Madhurya Rasa, which is, you know, at a certain point, everybody tries to tie everybody to Madhurya Rasa. We push back on that a little bit for good reason, but so, um, what can I say? She was a complicated person. I appreciate your question. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many different types of manifestations of Shiva. The Rudras, you know, the Shiva presiding over the Tamaguna, uh, Shiva, who's who's in, 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 who's a devotee in, in, in Shiva Loka, Mahasankarshan, Maha, uh, and he worships Mahasankarshan. Complicated, no doubt. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, you know, he's Balaram. That would be kind of like, um, kind of blurring the beauty of the so many subtle uh, distinctions that are. Um, Prominent uh, feature of 
of Gaudi Vaishnavism. The difference mm. is oneness, and there's a difference, and we emphasize the, the difference is an underlying oneness. But if you go there only, then the, the difference that makes for the variety of um, bhakti rasa and so forth uh, disappears. So those are my thoughts. Mm. Jai. Thank you so much. Thank you. That really helped because I was, yeah, particularly, I guess, wondering uh, in, about the mood of if, if he is like an expansion of Balaram, the, the Sakya aspect, which you very kindly include with regarding Advaita Acharya. So thank you. All right. The last question is from Tony Hazel. He says, what or where is the best place to read the Srimad Bhagavatam? Is it Srila Prabhupada's? And basically, he's asking for the, the best edition, I guess. What edition and where? I think he meant the edition. Like which, which Bhagavatam is the best edition? My question to you is, can there be more than one? Does beauty eye in the, lie in the eye of the beholder? Um, those are two thoughts to consider. Um, one may be best for one. Another may be best for another. One may be best for one at one time. And another may be best for that person at another time. So there's a lot of relativity to uh, the answer that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, the question, and I, I'm, I'm just speculating, but may arise to some extent out of a particular emphasis in the modern day on the part of uh, the ISKCON institution and Prabhupada's disciples and the grand disciples that they fostered on this idea that Prabhupada is the best, Prabhupada is the only one, we don't need any other one, um, and so on and so forth. There's a strong emphasis like that, and that you know may give rise to a question that wouldn't have arisen, you know, otherwise. Um, the more authentic commentaries that we have of the Bhagavatam, well, from a Gaudiya point of view, authentic, the better, right? And in this regard, if you read the purport of Prabhupada's uh, Prabhupada's purport or commentary, and I believe it's on the very first verse of the Bhagavatam, there he mentions the commentaries of Vishwanachakuti Thakur, Jiva Goswami, Sanatha Goswami, and he says that it would be, I think he uses the language, it would behoove one to read, study the, these commentaries, which Prabhupada himself obviously studied. As he did also the commentary of, of Madhva or Vijaya Baj, I think Tirtha, one from, from the, uh, uh, Madhva line, um, and other commentaries. Um, so, um, as you can see, the, 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 it's not a simple, this one is best, uh, one size fits all. The, the, the uh, the, uh and in Prabhupada's commentaries, he refers to other commentaries as well. So a thoughtful person would, if they had the opportunity, would go and, you know, look at those commentaries as well. And in, in, in Prabhupada's, Prabhupada was, commentary was written in a certain time and place with a certain ideas in mind, certain key um, points to the philosophy, foundational points of the philosophy that he wanted to put in place. Hmm? 
Um, and, um, and so, it, you know, it, it has a purpose. It makes it very useful um, for for some students. Uh, that said, at the same time, there are cultural influences in Prabhupada's writing that if he was in a present culture now, he probably would have written, a little, written it a little differently. And those can stand out and alienate somebody who's really identified with a, with a, with a certain sector of modern uh, society. Um, uh, that would be short-sighted, I think, but, uh, but it's understandable how that affects a reader and, and in, in effect calls for a new, new reading, an ongoing commentary mm-hmm. um, uh, that is, it takes the present culture into consideration and, and then writes about, explains the verses, you know, in consideration of that, which would become more palatable. Uh, but, but the message is the same. The message is the same in all, all instances. Um, so Prabhupada is kind of an introductory um, commentary. Uh, at the same time, he, he covered all the bases, but he covered some of them in in, in less detail then other commentaries will cover that uh, aspect in greater detail. Let's take, for example, the idea of Bhakti Rasa. Well, the commentary of all the commentaries, Vishwanath Chakravitakur's commentary is considered to be the most Rasic. So he's really zeroing in on that, writing from that, that point of view. That's, you know, the, the, the high point, the excellence, the, the, the focus of Vishwanath Chakravitakur. So that may be useful. With regard to exploring that, which Prabhupada dealt with rather more in a more cursory way or more superficially, or let's say in less in less detail. It's not that it's not there, but in less detail. Um, with regard to uh, philosophy, theology, uh, you know, philosophy, Jiva Goswami's commentary. Of course, it follows Sanatana Goswami. That's the seminal commentary. We could say that's the best one because all the commentaries follow Sanatana. Or we could say Sridhar Swami's is the best because all Mahaprabhu deferred to him and all the Gaudi commentaries defer to him, even though they, they defer to him back with respects to Sridhar Swami. He said this, but this is also the case. And then they write something else and they may even differ from him and so on and so forth. Um, with the idea being that he couldn't say everything that he wrote his commentary that he wanted to say, giving his time the circumstance that gave rise to his commentary and so on. So it's a, it, it depends. Um, and then, you know, um, uh, another way uh, to answer your question is whichever one works best for you. Hmm. Um, so if one of them works better for you and inspires you more in, in, in practice and and um, capacity to understand the text, and you know that that's the best one. Um, once Prabhupada asked, I think it was there was a couple of disciples. Pradyumna worked on as a Sanskrit editor for him was in the room, and he, his testimony comes from him. Prabhupada asked the question, "What book should I do next?" Hmm? Or so, somebody maybe it was Pradyumna. What book will you do next, Prabhupada? And Prabhupada thought for a minute. He said, "For a moment, he said, I think maybe Bhagavad Gita." And someone said, Prabhupada, you already did the Bhagavad Gita. And Prabhupada said, was, uh, there can be so many editions of Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. 
And in the Gita also, he also does mention in his commentary, I remember, I forget where, I think it's in the ninth chapter, but there are other commentaries by devotees and uh, you know, they should be embraced and so forth. So, uh, that said, um, it's important to study the Bhagavatam under the guidance of a, of a Vaishnav guru, Vaishnav, um, uh, who embodies the teaching. Hmm? Uh, Pujapada Sridhar Maharaj compared, you know, the Bhagavatam to be a static form or expression of divinity and the sadhu to a dynamic one because the book can't ask you, so do you understand? And you go, yes. And you say, show me that you understand. What, what does it mean? The book can't get back at you like that, but the sadhu can, can help us and so forth. Um, so that's an important thing to consider. And if we are serving under the guidance of a sadhu, then um, and that would be the person to ask him or her this question. Uh, maybe you think I'm a sadhu. That would be your first mistake. But you're asking me, so that's my my way of answering. If I got to know you a little better, um, I might be able to, um, ref, you know, refine the answer and say, you should just read this one right now. This will be good, good for you. So with what knowledge I have of your good self and so forth, I answer in this way. And that brings us to the end of the hour, right? Yes, there's a couple comments from Tony and one from Parmananda, like a quotation. Pardon me? Uh, there's a couple um, comments from Tony in the chat, and then Parmananda oh. put a quote from Prabhupada about basically enforcing the person. Yes, it, I see that Tony says, I love that. So essentially, it doesn't matter. To a certain extent, what translation slash commentary is quote unquote the best, but rather on it, it's the gem itself, the Bhagavatam. Um, yeah, yeah. And okay, that's Tony Hayes. Now, is Tony a female or a male? Just a question. Male. Okay, nice to meet you. And Parmanand has written, within the past 500 years, many erudite scholars and acharyas, like Jiva Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, Vishwanachakra, oh, he's quoting Prabhupada here, the section of the Bhagavatam that I mentioned is purport. Prabhupada mentioned Jiva Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, Vishwanachakra, Tathakur, Balabhacharya, and many other distinguished scholars, even after the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, made elaborate commentaries and the serious student would do well to attempt to go through them to better relish the transcendental messages. Srila Prabhupada, Kijai, Gaur Premanandu, go. Okay, see you next week, hopefully. All right. Swagurum Raj, Kijai.